Welcome to Modern Mentor, formerly the Get It Done Guy podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Cook. Today, I'm excited to share my interview with Jocko Willink, a retired U.S. Navy SEAL officer and New York Times number one best-selling author of several books, including his latest, Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Jocko hosts the popular podcast, Leadership and Discipline, as well as a podcast for young leaders in training called Warrior Kid. Upon retiring from the Navy in 2010, Jocko founded the leadership consulting firm Echelon Front. There, he teaches combat leadership principles to help others build their own high-performance winning teams. Many of Jocko's ideas originate from the four laws of combat he developed in the Navy and passed on to other SEALs. These are, one, cover and move. Embrace the power of teamwork and know the importance of showing care to everyone on the mission. Two, keep things simple. Remove complexity wherever possible to ensure everyone fully understands the mission and the shared direction. Three, prioritize and execute. Remain a step or two ahead of problems to avoid failure. Thoughtful planning allows us to move resources wherever they're needed. And four, decentralize command. When our team members understand what they're doing and why, they become empowered to make smart decisions on their own. Jocko shared some sage advice around detaching from our egos to make better decisions, taking extreme ownership for the outcomes we desire, and leaning into observation and humility to reveal the best versions of ourselves. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in. I would love to start with this concept of detachment, which is something you have written a lot about, right? The idea of kind of letting go of your ego, making a call, rolling with it. Um, And feel free to correct me if I am misparaphrasing in any way. I love that concept. It is something I aspire to. I think we all should. It can sometimes be easier said than done, right? And I would love any of your thoughts on how how do we do it? Any advice on how to just let it go? Yeah, this is certainly one of the most powerful tools that exists in leadership. And it's often overlooked. People don't talk about it a lot, but people do get wrapped up around their emotions. People do get drawn into the immediate tactical battle, whatever that is in your business, whether that's, you know, on a construction site and you jump in and now you're, you're doing the work or you're on a manufacturing line and you're jumping and you're doing the work or you're in the financial industry and you jump in and you're looking at the spreadsheets and, and look, sometimes you do have to do that as a leader. You have to jump in and make things happen, but you absolutely can't stay there. And you have to recognize that when you do jump into that low level tactical into the weeds, you're not leading anymore. You're, you're not seeing what's happening. And so you have to learn to take a step back. And, 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 you know, when you first start doing this, it really is, I recommend you do it physically. You physically take a step back. So if you're in a meeting and things are starting to get, you know, ruckus in the meeting, there's disagreements, physically stand up and take a step back. So you detach from it mentally too. You know, that's uh, the example I talk about is being on the firing line where everyone's looking down their weapon, looking down the sights of their weapon, looking for targets to engage. You can't see anything except for targets. And what you have to do is physically step back and look around. And so that's that's the physical part of getting out of the weeds. But then, as you mentioned, detaching from your emotions, which oftentimes are wrapped up around your ego, that's equally important, sometimes more important. In fact, I would say it's more important because you can you can get wrapped up around your emotions 
and step back and still be wrapped around your emotions. So you really truly have to learn to detach from your emotions, detach from your ego, detach from the tactical problem, step back, look around so you can see what's actually happening and make a real decision based on logic, not based on emotion. And I love the way that you frame that because there's a little bit of do it physically first, because in some ways it's it signals to your own body, oh, it's time to detach here, right? And so by physically sending yourself that cue, and also you're sending a message to the people around you, right? You're sort of visibly stepping back and sending a signal that, hey, I am stepping away from this a little bit. I think that's, that's a fabulous way to frame it. I want to talk a little bit about decision-making. In the world of work, it can be so easy to get stuck in this analysis paralysis, right? We always want just a little more info, a little more data before we make the call. Coming from your world, I imagine on the battlefield, you don't have that luxury, right? It's life or death. You have to make that call. That urgency is just there and it's non-negotiable. How do you coach people in the workplace when life and death aren't on the line? How do you how do you create that sense of urgency and push people to get enough information and then stop and make the call? Well, people often talk to me about that idea that well, I was dealing with lives, life and death and mm-hmm. and in in this business we're not dealing with life and death. And I always say actually you might not be dealing with lives but you're dealing with livelihoods. And when you're running a business, whether you're running a business that's got five employees or 500 employees or 5,000 employees, when you make a decision, it impacts everyone. It impacts the livelihood of every person in your company. And if you make a bad decision, you can run that company in the ground and you've got 5,000 people that don't have jobs anymore, can't pay their mortgage, can't feed their kids. So there's all kinds of pressure. And it's I mean, if you think about what life is, we call it a livelihood for a reason. That's how we live is our job. So we do have people's livelihoods in our hands and it's it's going to have a huge impact on the people that work for us. So you have to absolutely learn to be decisive. Now, I was known as being very decisive when I was in the military. I'm still known as being very decisive, but I have to say that I kind of cheat and I and what I do and I talk about it in the book is I make, really, I generally make the smallest possible decisions that I can make that move us in the direction that I think, that I guess is the right direction. You know, if I was running a business and, and, and the idea was, oh, we want to go in and open up a new market area that we haven't been in. One decision could be, okay, we're going to go into that area. We're going to buy a building. We're going to hire 20 employees. We're going to invest in the, in the inventory to put in that building, and then we'll see how it goes. That, that's a big decision to make, and that's a bold decision. And if you made that, you'd be definitely be seen as a decisive person. But since there's so much at risk, you know, buying a building and hiring people, it's massive risk. You would want to, you would want to not make that decision because it's too big, and so people would hesitate. So what I would do is someone you know, brings up the idea, hey, we want to move into this market area. I'd say, okay, you know what? Immediately, I want a team going over there and doing some market research. All of a sudden, I was super decisive because I sent two people there to do a market study. And then that market study comes back positive and everyone says, yep, we're right. It looks like a great place. And I say, okay, great. I want to set up a kiosk in the main area. You know, So now I'm going to invest a tiny amount of money and I'm going to get some data. And maybe that kiosk gets a lot of business and that's great. It's a great indicator. Now we're going to put two kiosks out there and then we go to three and then eventually I'll lease the space and then eventually we'll end up moving into that market area and taking over. But as you see, instead of making one giant decision, I made small decisions 
in the right direction that do move us, move us to where we want to be, but they mitigate risk as much as possible. So that's what I did in my military career. That's what I do in my business career. And that's the way I run my life. So it allows you to be very decisive while mitigating risk. Now, do you occasionally have to do something dynamic? Sure. Sometimes you got to take more risk. There's a bold decision that needs to be made. And in those situations, as you said, you're not going to get all, every piece of information. You're going to have to have to make a decision sometimes. But even then, my recommendation is look to move, look to decide the smallest decision you can make that's moving in the right direction. That's going to allow you to make decisions quicker. I love it. So you shrink the risk and the smaller the risk, the less information you have to collect. And in those rare situations where you can't shrink the risk, maybe those are the moments where you do let yourself a little bit more space to analyze a little bit deeper, right? Very practical. I want to ask you about this concept of digging in, right? So this is something that you talk about. Don't don't dig in your heels, right? Don't get so wedded to one outcome, one, or not one outcome, but one idea, one path. Uh, be flexible, be open. And I love that. I think it's incredibly important to hear the ideas and the perspectives of those around you. I also think, and feel free to push back, that at some point you can run the risk of being wishy-washy and to go back to our previous conversation, not being decisive. How do you think about kind of towing that line between I am open, I'm listening, I'm receiving feedback, but I'm not just a yes man or a yes woman. And at some point, I'm also principled. And I guess the question is, how do you balance being principled with being flexible? There's very few things. So yes, the concept is don't dig in. The The concept comes from a, a patent, a general patent quote was he didn't want his men to dig in. He wanted them to advance, advance, advance. But as you mentioned, that's also a critical tool to use as a leader to not dig into some idea that you have and allow yourself to be flexible. And I, I often ask people, how often do you think I have to admit that I'm wrong? And, and people's general answer is they think, oh, I'm humble. You probably admit that you're wrong all the time. And I say, no, I actually hardly ever have to admit that I'm wrong. And the reason that I hardly ever have to admit that I'm wrong is I very seldomly go out, draw a line in the sand and say, this is my belief 100%. And that's the time when you're going to end up realizing that you're wrong. So I don't do that very often. I do it so seldom, it's actually ridiculous. So yes, my mind is always open. And therefore, the idea of being wishy-washy, it's not wishy-washy because I'm not changing from one side to the other side. I'm just listening to what you're telling me and I might I might have an idea in my head, but I haven't stated it. So I'm just open-minded listening to what you have to say. Oh, and then there's someone on the other side that's, that's you know, giving another point of view and I'm listening to both of you. So I haven't chosen one side or the other. So how can I sound wishy-washy when I haven't stated my, where I am? And by the way, this all ties into the fact that I almost always, in fact, never mind, almost, I always want ideas and plans to come from the people below me in the chain of command. It's always more powerful. It's always better. They always have buy-in. They always have ownership. So I'm always looking to just embrace the plans of the people above me, below me in the chain of command. That's what my goal always is. So I never feel like I'm going to appear to be wishy-washy because I'm gonna. I'm not going to make statements that say, hey, this is what I believe right now. And then 20 minutes later, I realize I'm wrong. And I say, okay, actually, I changed my mind. I, I don't do that. Why? Because I don't if I'm opening up the idea of looking at a, a project or a mission, I, I open up the idea and say, hey, this is what we want to get done. How do you think we should do it? And then people say, well, we could do this. And I say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that's great. What if we combine those two ideas together? Wow, that would be great. Okay, let's do that. Okay, super. So that's 
one part of it. Now you, you talked about being principled and yes, there are principles that I am not going to move on. They're very few. Everybody around me knows what they are. And since they know what they are, they know where I stand. They barely ever confront those ideas. When they do, the reason that I'm so beholden to those ideas is because they are solid. They are great principles. They are the way that things function properly. So yeah, everyone knows the principles that I have and that I generally will not deviate from them. So therefore, they understand that there's principles and... Yet, at the same time, they understand if it's anything outside those principles, my mind is open and I'm ready to listen and execute other people's plans all day long. What I heard in that is that it's not so much about abandoning or letting go of an idea, but it's letting somebody else influence the shape of the idea. So it's it's more cumulative, right? It's like you've got, and it sounds like you're open to potentially switching ideas, but it sounds like more times than not, you're you're putting out a foundation and other people's ideas are enhancing it and growing it and making it stronger. Yeah, and just, you know, just so you know, I'll abandon my ideas all day long. If my ideas don't make any sense, I'll be the first person to say, oh yeah, your plan's better. And, and by the way, you might, and again, this is this is all ego. It's, it's 100% ego when you say, well, I better stick with my plan so people have respect for me. Mm-hmm. People don't respect you more when you stick to your stupid plan. They respect you less. They see that your ego is what's holding on to the plan. They know that you're not confident. And, and so for me, when someone says, even if I put forth a plan, hey, I think this is how we should do this. And then someone says, comes up with a better plan. I don't, I go, oh, that's awesome. I wish I would have thought of that. Let's go with your plan. I have no problem doing that. It's it's just, you just have to let go of your ego to be able to do that. And that can be challenging for people for sure. I have a question that I want to ask you and I am making some assumptions here. So again, I invite you to push back, but in, in spending time with your work, it seems to me like what you are doing is not so much going out there, doing research, developing and creating ideas, but rather it almost feels like you're just paying attention and capturing what's out there and putting it down on paper in a thoughtful way. Um, And I think that that's a really powerful thing to be able to do. I think there are so many people going out there and trying to create something and invent something. And we're kind of missing just what's already around us. I think there is so much insight just to be extracted from the circumstances we're finding ourselves in. It's almost like there is an intuition about the way that you're doing that. And if my assertion is correct, I would love just any of your thoughts on how do you kind of let go of all the buzz that's around us and just lean into opening your mind and paying attention to what is literally happening around you and just being thoughtful in how you process it and how you capture it. Yeah, so you you are correct. The ideas that I talk about, the principles that I preach, for lack of a better word, uh, none of which are invented by me, zero. And mm-hmm. it. And the other thing is, but you. I think the, the part that could be maybe a little bit off is you said that I looked for these ideas, found them, and then wrote about them. And that's not fully true because what really happened was these ideas revealed them to me over time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I actually didn't write down the four laws of combat until my, until I'd been in the SEAL teams for around 17 years is when I wrote them down for the first time. Now I had told them to people over and over again, but I didn't write them down until I was in a position where I needed to 
distilled down the information that I knew into something that everyone could understand. Cover and move is an ancient, well, cover and move is as old as pretty much uh, guns. So when guns started, people realized you needed mm-hmm. to cover and move. Simple as a law of combat goes back thousands of years. Prioritize and execute, people call it different things, but that is a is a fundamental leadership principle of focusing your efforts on one objective until you get it accomplished. And then decentralized command, clearly this is another thing that goes back. Really, you trace it back to the Prussians uh, pre-World War I. They didn't implement it very well during World War I. Towards the end of World War I, the Germans started to do it. It could have won the war for them, but they didn't have enough troops left. Eventually, America realized that that was the right way to fight. We try and do the same thing. So these are all things that are People know. People know these things. Those things revealed themselves to me over my entire career. And and even ideas like extreme ownership. The idea of extreme ownership was very clear to me, but the the term, I coined the term for the first time talking about how I interacted with my boss and my boss was going around the room asking the various task unit commanders, so asking all of my peers, what do you need, what do you need, what do you need? And they were all saying, I need, you know, these different boots and I need these different radio handsets and I need, you know, more training in this department. And my boss got to me and he said, what do you need? And I said, we don't need anything, sir. We're good to go because I have ownership, extreme ownership of everything that's going on in my world. And if I need something, I'm going to go make it happen. So I don't need to ask my, my boss. And by the way, that meant when my boss, when I needed something from a boss, as soon as I asked him, he'd give it to me because he knew that I had, it was, it was something that was really and truly needed. So you are correct that, that these ideas are not new. And, but just how they came to fruition it was a little bit, a little bit different. I wasn't saying, okay, I need to write a book about this. No. By the time I wrote Extreme Ownership, all these things were, were crystal clear. I briefed them hundreds and hundreds of times. Now, the other part of your question was, how do we get to observe this stuff in the world? And the answer is detachment, which is something that we already discussed. Mm. And that is one of the reasons that I was able to write this stuff down, that I was able to recognize it, is because of those early, one of the earliest lessons I learned as a leader was to detach and take a step back. And that meant when I was watching things go wrong with other platoons or watching things go right with other platoons or watching things go wrong in a business or watching things go right in a business, I would be, I would be detached watching it unfold, which gave me a clear picture of what the problem was. And then I could identify the problem, figure out what the solution was and, and, and tell them. So the idea of being detached and observing more that's going on inside the entire world is, is rooted in that very simple idea of detaching and stepping back and looking at what's going on, being more observant. Full circle. Indeed. Amazing. Thank you so much. So I want to be really respectful of your time. I have just one last question for you. And here it is. Um, If we close today with me telling you, hey, Jocko, go get some. What does that mean to you? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take advantage of every second of every minute of every day of every week of every month and of every year. That's what it is. I'm going to go out and make things happen. I don't expect that anything is going to be given to me. I don't expect any good deals to come my way. I don't expect any money to be made. I don't expect anyone to lay out a red carpet for me anywhere. I don't expect any of that stuff. Whatever I want in the world, I have to go and make happen. And the 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 driving force there's for me is 
having the opportunity to do these things, having the opportunity to work, having the opportunity to share the message of the lessons that have been learned. You know, I've got friends that did not come home and they do not have these opportunities that I have, that we have, and therefore I will not squander one second of this gift of life that I've been given. I'm going to take advantage of every second. And what does that mean? Yes, that means I'm going to go out and I'm going to get after it. I'm going to get some. Before we signed off, I mentioned to Jocko that my two daughters might be his biggest fans of all. In fact, I told him they were angry I didn't make Jocko Day a school holiday. So Jocko asked me to hold my phone up, and he recorded this fantastically inspiring message for them. I share it with all of you because it's on all of us to get some. What's up, Ayla and Reveille? It is Jocko here, and I've been hanging out with your mom a little bit. And she told me that you read the Warrior Kid books which is awesome. And I want to say thank you for reading those books. She's also going to let you listen to a podcast called the Warrior Kid Podcast. So that's great too. And I just wanted to say thank you for reading the books. Thank you for listening to the podcast. But I also wanted to say that you can't just read the books and you can't just listen to the podcast. You have to train hard, you have to study hard, and you have to work hard to stay on that Warrior Kid path. So keep getting after it. Thank you, and I will talk to you both later. Out. Well, Jocko, I think it's time to say mission accomplished. I have so enjoyed spending this time with you. I feel inspired to lean into stepping back, listening, observing, and letting everyone's great ideas help shape the course I take. I'm ready to make things happen. For anyone wanting to hear more from you, I know they can download the Jocko podcast or pick up a copy of Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Best of luck on your book tour, and thank you again. I'm Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. An important part of being a mentor is asking questions, so allow me to ask, what do you want to hear more about from me? I've got experience and opinions far and wide, so please don't be shy. Get my tips sent straight to your inbox by signing up for my newsletter at quickanddirtytips.com or check out my website, leadabovenoise.com. Join me next week when I talk you through how being an amazing listener can make you smarter, faster, and better. Thanks so much for listening and have a successful week.